You are listening to episode 162 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody, here at the Game Deflators podcast, we like to talk about games we've recently picked up, games we're currently playing, and we're late for class and with the bride in this week's Inflation Deflation Challenge. So Ryan there for a little uh a little bit of tie in there for Magic the Gathering with Crimson Vow and some uh Strixhaven, which we'll be talking about today for our inflation deflation challenge. We uh, bought so, magic cards. Yeah, find we, out well, if it was worth it. <laughs> see, I bought my magic cards like three months ago, and now I'm opening up the booster box, and then you just bought yours. So yeah, that's kind of where we're at. Um, so yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, but let's jump into our normal, you know weekly cadence here uh so pickups i had none i imagine you also had none yeah no pickups this week all right sounds about right uh actually i, I will address it here so yesterday when we pre-recorded our episode oh my god are you gonna tell everybody about the time and the episodes again i am i am <laughs> do and it this one time he it, last time when we recorded he brought it up like a million times. I had to. And and I'll bring it up a million times this week, too, because, Ryan, it's a time paradox tied to episode 162 and 163. The, the fans will get it. Like, they will 100% understand. Um, I know but, they will. But The first time. But they have to hear episode 163. I totally understand. So um, yesterday, when we were pre-recording, I had mentioned that I picked up, uh, was it No Way Out, I think, the um, the PS4, like, multiplier game. But I got it. It takes two. So I noted in that episode that I picked it up on that week, but realistically I didn't. So technically, technically Ryan, I purchased that game this week for this episode. And then when the next episode comes out, I will technically have already had it delivered because it arrives Tuesday. So that is my pickup. I'll just call it out. As far as currently playing, I was playing a little bit of apex legends this week. Uh, something I hadn't done in a while. What's which... new? Is it like, is it totally different than so... when I was there? There's this character called Ash now that is able to like warp behind different players as like her ultimate ability. But she has like these really cool grenades. And when she throws them at a character, if she sticks them with it, then they're stuck and locked in place and stunned and they can't move. Or if she gets in the general vicinity, there's like this tether that holds on to him for a few seconds and they can't move as well if that happens. So uh, she's pretty cool. I don't. I Sounds like really... she's really powerful. <laughs> like right at the end when you're just have like one house that you're inside of. Yeah, like she's actually pretty cool for the most part. But I'm I'm not like with Apex. It takes me a while. Like if I haven't played it for so long, having to get back into it and get used to like the shooting and all of that good stuff. I was doing pretty well yesterday after a while. But I started using Fuse again because I was playing arenas. And dude, Fuse is absolutely hilarious because he's got his like cluster bombs that he could shoot from a distance. Fuse was which, sick. Yeah. And I've gotten so good at that. Like I can pin somebody with a cluster bomb from like clear across the level. And it's the best thing ever. So, are there uh, are there any other new guns? I remember when they introduced him, they introduced that like one rifle. Um, There is now, I don't know how, I mean, this one's pretty old. But it's called a Rampage. So you can pump in a thermal grenade to it and then it like has a rapid fire and it's super powerful. And then if you take that off, it deals a lot of damage. It's more like a like like that type of shot. So there's that. They've put back the Prowler into arenas, I think, or in the main map. They just nerfed it, I think. A few different features in arenas. Like, for example, I purchased like fuses ultimate in arenas and then after like if i don't use it that round it actually carries over which is kind of nice which in the past i believe it didn't where if you'd purchase something and it was locked out because you didn't use it the, prior, the round prior i think that's how that works but maybe i'm wrong uh, or maybe that isn't new and yeah so but i was doing sticky grenades and fuses cluster bombs and dude it was the greatest thing when i could like cluster bomb somebody directly in front of me and then shoot them and they would just fall right away because well they're dealing with this cluster bomb they can't actively like hit me they're trying to get away uh and then there was a couple occasions where i hit people with sticky grenades and then was just firing at them and right when the sticky grenade went off they're down uh so some cool stuff so won a few matches of arenas had some fun with that uh and yeah it was it was good times i didn't get to play with justin too much i played with him like a couple nights before 
and uh we had some fun with that too but dude fuse is just absolutely hilarious like absolutely hilarious when you play this game so and ryan you sent me a picture in text message i don't know (laughs) what you were sending uh so i really haven't been playing anything uh i know i need to get on mario i do have plenty of time left in the end of the year uh i will be taking care of that and you will be finding out uh when we do our inflation or not our inflation deflation our new games resolution at the beginning of next year yeah if, if you actually beat it ryan's given himself as i have much to build up the can. suspense i have to let everybody go all the way down to the wire i i've actually been thinking about it now a little bit more as i've been considering what i'm going to do for next year like how how long can i take this on like it makes the most sense to just try to knock it out first next year and just get yeah. it over with. Uh, but I mean, at this point, like, is it better <laughs> if I just wait till the last minute? It, it builds suspense throughout the year. I it mean, creates I just, a lot of good back and forth. Uh, it's, it's gold. Dude. I just like, it's a know, bit with, with conquerors. I knocked mine out within like a week and it was just dedication for that week. Actually, Conquers, I beat within a few days, I think. Uh, but it was just more so a matter of kind of sticking to it. And just every night, I put in a couple hours until I beat it. Or actually, more so. Like, there was one day where I just put in, like, eight hours or, or six hours of Conquers. And it was fantastic. It was, like, the best day that week. So, that's what I like to do, man. I don't necessarily like to knock it out right away. and But I do intend on knocking one of... I have two that I'll be doing. And so I intend on knocking out one of them immediately, but I'm probably not going to play it back to back. Oh, dude, I just had a great idea. Huh? What if what if I didn't say what my new game's resolution was? What if I like wrote it on a letter and put it in an envelope and gave it to you sealed and you didn't know and just like whenever I would start playing a game and then stop playing it throughout the year? You wouldn't know if that was the game that I needed to finish or not. Oh, my God, dude. <laughs> no, I, I would know if it's a game you need to finish because over time you'd be like, oh, I really need to start completing this game. I don't know. Actually, that's a pretty good idea. Actually, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Drive me fucking and I insane. can just start playing like random stuff. Like all of a sudden I'm just playing like uh, like a ROM of Mother 3 and then like. Uh, all of a sudden, next it's like, Ryan, why why are you playing Dragon Ball Z Budokai two? Oh man, dude, because I love the first one, but I just never played the second one. You know? Oh my god, <laughs> John, can I borrow that GameCube? I really want to check out the Resident Evil remake. Oh Jesus Christ, dude! I don't even know what to do if you hear. Right, you you can't play all three of these games at once. One of them you have to finish. Yeah, well, the good thing for you is those Resident Evil games are pretty short. So if that is indeed what you end up playing. Yeah, I still, I don't know. I guess I'm putting too much, too much thought into it. Dude, just pick one and then you have a stretch goal. Yeah. Like that. That's, I mean, that's what I did with Shenmue. I put in one and said, stretch goal. I'll beat number two as well. Cause number three, I think was supposed to be coming out. I don't know if it'd come out yet. I guess, you know, the people, the people deserve me to just do it straight and get it done. Yeah, they uh, do. Instead of. Uh, I I mean I still feel like I owe everybody for Persona, yeah. Which is now coming to Switch. I don't think it's in the news that we have in front of us today, but uh, that was news this week. I think it's been news that it was coming out. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm sure. time traveling. Yeah, I think you are. Well, hey, back to episode one sixty two, one sixty three, time travel paradox. Oh my uh, God, <laughs> I right. I opened the door for that one. Oh, you totally did. Okay, so. Um, that's it for currently playing and, uh, recent pickups. So of course you can find this episode on all of your favorite podcast applications. Leave us a comment on the time paradox that we keep discussing on social media, uh, via at game deflators for Twitter at the game deflators, Instagram, Facebook, and of course find our non updated website, the game where you can find this episode on recording, uh, as well as just some really cool pictures. So good stuff. All right. <clears throat> topics this week uh it is a true frontier of game design 
how Naughty Dog and Insomniac Games think about accessibility. And uh, this is Eurogamer staff contributor at Eurogamer. And uh, also this week, we'll be chatting about the worst games of 2021, according to Metacritic. A uh, new PS5 leak has nostalgic PS5, PS1 fans very excited. And then Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Director confirms disappointing news. So diving into this first one, uh, it's pretty much covering how uh, Insomniac Games and Naughty Dog are addressing accessibility of games when it comes to a variety of things, such as difficulty, uh, extreme difficulty um, versus, you know, minimal uh, for certain folks. Um looking at it from a visual standpoint in terms of those that, um, you know, could potentially be blind, um, accessibility as far as like larger, uh, screen captions, uh, stuff like that. So what was your overall thought? Like this is a longer article, but I definitely enjoyed the read. It was actually cool to kind of see the back and forth between, uh, the different companies or really different studios. And then also hearing how they work together, uh, in terms of accessibility as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just kind of like a series of questions and answers uh, back and forth and, and how they address certain issues. I think that um, it brings up uh, some really interesting and good points. <clears throat> when you work with the people that are affected by this, you find out the real answers and, and what is really needed. And they cite several examples in here of where they approached solutions and then the the real answer or or the true solution was not to go with that approach for everyone but to allow for variations between what exists and what the proposed solution is so that people can adjust it and fine tune it to really be tailored to them specifically so really what we need is just you know, we talk about this access to sliders and stuff is what people at PC world are always wanting, like give us more sliders so that we can adjust like all the parameters. So when you think about it in terms of like, uh, there was one system that they were citing specifically in here where it was, um, for the motion sickness or, or like the camera movement. And they had like a debug mode feature where you could just turn that off. And it just never really occurred to them to allow that as an accessible feature for the audience. Uh, but just giving access to that, like I, I'm just, you know, armchair game designing here. Like it's probably still a ton of work to implement these features in a good usable way. Uh, but to know that you already have the tools available and to be able to use those and it benefits the studio and they've been able to really steamroll like, how much accessibility is in their games because it's all in a proprietary system that gets built on and they get to just keep learning from those past endeavors. So they were going from like, you know, a few options on one game. Um, let's see, where was it? Up to uh, 28 more features for high contrast mode, controller remapping and chase assist for Ratchet and Clank. And then that moved up for Miles Morales up to 53 options. So while everything doesn't translate from one game to another, the studios get to build on this. And it sounds like it is an industry. They all really get to learn and grow from each other. So like the triumphs of Forza are going to be the triumphs of Naughty Dog. You know, those things yeah. are going to, and I say Forza because I can't think of the name of the studio, but I should be saying the studio's name, but like, you know, the industry will keep going forward. And I think that like the amount of people that have access to games now that didn't used to have access to games, like that number is just going to keep growing. And I think this is the best way to grow that audience because this isn't like, Oh, uh, let's throw more microtransactions like let's throw more of this stuff like all that stuff that really really works to hook in new audiences you know the shiny stuff the free buy-in like that's how you hook a new audience these days but going accessibility to hook in a new audience of people that didn't have the ability to play before and now do that's a way better way yeah, and I, one of the cool things I really thought, and you brought up like the proprietary systems and whatnot, you know, Naughty Dog specifically calls that, or at least their representative, how they're happy to already like 
own and be able to like they already own their their system right uh so when it comes down to these creations they're able to kind of take it one year and then progress the next year and like continue like that that progress i guess as far as accessibility is concerned and i really like the idea that they utilize people that are within their studio for the the actual accessibility input so one of them was like a, a gamer that is visually impaired and they they had him do the play testing and kind of work through it and uh, give the input to say, you know what, here's like where different players are going to struggle uh, within this type of area. So, you know, here's what we need to do to fix it. And they do that consistently with different employees um, within the studio. So I think that's pretty cool as well. Um, well, and like on top of that, like outside of that, they also consult like professional, you know, companies that are, you know, groups for you know advocating for disability and making sure that like standards are met and that you're pushing these characters and situations in you know realistic or maybe not realistic but like in positive ways and in trying to dissociate you know negativity from those um and that's really important like the i, I can't remember where i heard it it was um somewhere but it's like uh, people need to be involved in the creation of their icons. Like, you know, it's, it's very one thing to have somebody create like a form of representation that like doesn't represent them, but is supposed to represent somebody else. Like you're, you should be involved like in the creation of the people that are your own icons. So like, yeah. it's good to have that involvement and have those checks and balances and really be making sure you're, doing it in a good way yeah uh so definitely let us know what you think about this in general as far as accessibility concern is concerned uh you know the one takeaway i'll have here after reading this is whenever i see some of these different features in video games moving forward and you know it's it's interesting to see how the different captions have occurred over the years, the way that you can change your your visuals and, and light modes and whatnot in video games. And it's just not something I really was mindful of in the past. And after reading something like this and hearing more about the accessibility of things like the Game Awards, it's definitely kind of changed my, my view on those features. Well, and the spillover is more than you think, because I know... Um from like looking up like tips and tricks and hints and stuff like that for like different games, like apex and stuff in the past, like a lot of those high contrast modes for people with like visibility issues, uh, pro gamers will use those settings because it really enhances your ability to recognize and understand the situation at a moment's notice because you're relying less on that nuance. So, yeah. I mean, there is uh, some spillover where these features aren't just for other people. Like there are features for everyone. I watch everything with subtitles. As soon as I can turn subtitles on something, I turn subtitles on it yeah, every time here. because it's just, I find it better and more engaging that way. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's up to you how you want to play the games and the more options you get for that. Like, I'm not saying that everybody's going to be happy if they come up with like a difficulty slider and a Dark Souls one day, but you know, anything's possible. Yeah, that, that is something to consider, right? Because that's a game right there that doesn't have that, that difficulty slider. I, we haven't really looked into that, and maybe we can as far as like what Dark Souls does for accessibility. Um, or yeah. it's just, or it's like, hey, disabled, we don't care, get good. Like well, I know that in, uh, in Game Maker's Toolkit, um, Mark Brown's video on the accessibility for the last year, unfortunately, Japan is lagging behind in that side. Uh, most of the games have kind of minimal accessibility support. Uh, but I mean, that just means that it's an industry that needs to grow, yeah. you know? And I mean, I know it's a whole different kind of work culture over there. Uh, but I don't think that anybody in the face of it would say that it's a bad idea. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. Um, I am actually, I don't know if you've got it popped open, but, uh, and we don't have to dive too deep into this, but it's the, more of a, the worst games of 2021, according to Metacritic. Yeah, I got it up here. 
Uh, so yeah, this is Tyler Fisher at comicbook.com. We don't have to go too deep into this, but it's more so a nice little lead into uh, next week's episode that you'll be hearing around our top five uh, inflation deflation games of the year, as well as our bottom five inflation deflation games of the year. So really our worst games of 2021. And of course, uh, the games that we beat in our games of a year tied to that. But uh, Ryan, if you want to take it away on this one. Yeah, so... These are the worst according to their Metacritic averages, and some of these I haven't heard of. So this first one, Bird and Cage, uh, it says, Imagine Music Brought to Life begins the trailer for Bird and Cage. According to Metacritic, you should probably just stop there instead of playing this weird two-hour metal album in the form of a narrative adventure. Uh, Screen Ramp put it, just because a game is unique doesn't necessarily mean that it's worth playing. Uh, this got a 44 on PC. Uh, I mean, I didn't even click to watch the trailer on it. I read that little blurb underneath and I was like, I think I understand why this is on this list. I mean, Edith Finch was such a great like little adventure with like unique mechanics and told this tight story in just a few hours. And I think that is a great thing to strive and chase. Um, I don't know. It seems like a lot of games can't really hit that mark. And I mean, it's not a really huge genre that you can probably continue to exploit forever. I feel like it's, it's one of those things where it's like telltale games. Like some of those were lightning in a bottle and then they just kept trying to do it. And it was never going to, the industry was never going to bear that the way the industry was never going to bear seven, you know, rockstar guitar hero games. (laughs) coming well, out and i think that last line of just because a game is unique doesn't necessarily mean it's worth playing that should be like shouted from the the mountains dude constantly like oh this is a unique game you should totally play it it's like how many games have we come across it's like yeah that's unique but it's like totally not worth buying you know buying as far as inflation deflation is concerned yeah so yeah that, that's something that uh that I appreciate in that commentary. Uh, the next one uh, I'll go through this one was uh, taxi chaos. And that had a score of a 42 on PS4. And um, basically in the, in the words of their writer uh, here at a uh, comic book, it says, sorry, crazy taxi fans, taxi chaos, ain't it. And uh, this game pretty much tried to take on the idea of like, you know, crazy taxi, like that was its gimmick. And it just didn't, didn't hit the way it needed to. And so I don't think there will ever be another crazy taxi outside of the crazy taxi franchise uh, and maybe Simpsons Road Rage. I think think that's kind of where it stays. I think it's one of those things where like games feel the need to be so much more complex just because they can be these days. And I feel like if you tried to make like a modern crazy taxi, there would be like so much more bs that they would feel like they need to throw into it it couldn't just be like as simple as like it was you know Uh, because they would just be like this is an ip like it's got legs run with it you know go all out and and it would just get ruined by it i think that um yeah, I, I have no I have no interest in that genre in general either. So I, I got nothing yeah. on that. This next one, Werewolf the Apocalypse Earthblood, also a 42 on PS4. I never even heard of this. Uh, it looks like it's just some. It looks like Kratos with a werewolf behind him and yeah. he's in military gear. Based on the World of Darkness RPGs, Werewolf the Apocalypse setting. So this is a built in IP. Uh, for people that are waiting for the Vampire the Masquerade game to come out. Um, and apparently it just wasn't very good. Uh, the best thing that they had going for it was letting people play as a dog. Yeah, people which, like dogs. Which if you want to play as a dog, um, doesn't, well, you can't play as one, but you have, a, no, yeah, I guess you can, right? Kind of. Okami, there you go. Uh, the wolf or whatever you got, play as that. Um, okay. This next one, this is one everybody knows about. Balan well, Wonderworld. Even I bought this at $10 because why yeah. not at $10? But uh, they said that this project by uh, Yuji Naka, the creator of Sonic the Hedgehog and Nights into Dreams, uh, pretty much was supposed to be like this great whimsical adventure. And what we ended up getting was a collectathon platformer that fell completely flat. So they basically said that Naka quit Square Enix uh, shortly after this and started pondering his retirement. I wonder if at that point he was like, you know what? I can't do any worse. So. 
and I can't yeah. do any better than this. I'm done. I mean, there's so much weight on these projects for these people that like, I mean, this dude made like Sonic and Knights. Um, I mean, not everybody can take making Mario and turning it into what Mario is now. And not one person is solely responsible for any of that either. Um, but like when uh, Mighty Number no. 9 was going to come out, you know, like they, there was so much pressure on that to be like this new absolutely mega man and then when um well i guess bloodstained that was pretty successful people felt yeah. like that that really brought you know the castlevania back so i mean th there can be these times but it's like this is such a different thing and nobody was really <laughs> ready for it i guess like this is truly like a next generation like dreamcast game or something well it just didn't really hit that well and is well when you weird. when you consider you've got basically sonic the hedgehog which is okay like it's sonic and then you have nights into dreams it's like taking what is essentially two two game series i suppose or franchises that more or less you know sonic i wouldn't say is a cult following but i'd say nights into dreams is probably more on that cult following level and i would imagine a lot of sonic fans are in a cult <laughs> maybe but you know what they do with nintendo so I, I would say if you're trying to put those two games together and say hey these two semi-successful cult following based franchises um we're gonna have their creator make this whole new game and it's gonna be awesome like who's your audience at that point like nights into dreams there's probably like i don't know 75 percent of gamers out there nowadays that have never heard of that game and then sonic the hedgehog is so overly done at this point um you know frontiers does look cool but it's been so overly done ever since you know sega went kaput dude when you think about, about this when you think about how many gamers out there never played games that would put them adjacent to Knights. So people that never would have heard it because they play other types of games. Yeah. So take that group mm -hmm. and then take the group of everybody who is too young to have been exposed to that game. Yeah. And when you take those two cross sections, it's a very that's, small group. That's going to be most people at this point. Yeah. <laughs> that so are gamers. Like there's so few people that really this should be like this is pulling the nostalgia and that expectation of performance out of but like you should have thrown all that out the window and just made something like truly for everybody new or something i guess well, I, I don't I, really know what what tanked this performance on this i i can imagine it was poorly playable as well as just poorly thought out i haven't played it yet and I will. I think this will be something I play in 2022. But I think, you know, you do have that little small group of people. You know, as you said, most gamers are going to fall into that category of not knowing any background here. Yeah. Uh, whereas that little sliver of people who are probably the group that you're actually trying to target. And it's not necessarily that they were trying to target just that group. I mean, they made a different game. It's a new new game that they were rolling with. But it's obviously for like probably younger. Yeah. But the, the horrible thing about it is like, maybe they went into market, not in, I don't know. I haven't looked at all the marketing, but maybe they didn't go in with the intention of Sonic and nights into dreams is like their key thing. That might've just been a media aspect that, Oh, Hey, look, this is a guy that was behind this. Let's go ahead and continue pumping this out to hype up this video game. And then when it comes out, it doesn't meet the expectations. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Let's just kind of push this under the rug now. Cause it's not very good. Um, yeah, I'll give you like a, a full blown review later on this coming year and uh, we'll see how bad it really was. Hell, I might even stop playing in the middle of it. I might pull a Ryan. There so, you go. It's yeah. the best thing you can do. And so number one on our list is eFootball 2022. Uh, this one was a long or part of a long installment of Pro Evolution Soccer and uh, really just fans and critics alike hated it. Uh, Pretty much their uh, footy expert, they say, uh, wrote an article all about why to rename Pro Evolution Soccer sequels so bad. 
And uh, they have that noted also in their 2021 uh, in-year review, uh, also in their most broken games of 2021, and the year in gaming apologies. So the fact that has made three different lists is pretty scary. Um, I'm not a huge soccer or football fan here, and football isn't you know soccer uh, when it comes to video games, but I will play some FIFA every now and then. And um, yeah, if they're saying this is bad and not worth touching, it's probably pretty bad because it's, it's I would think it's kind of difficult to screw up a soccer game, to be honest. Well, especially if you've been making one a year. Yeah. And like, for, forever. Like, yeah. I mean, I I don't know, man. Like, I I could really care less. Like, I, I'm glad that there's like competition and they're trying to change things and go in a different direction. But I mean, the direction that all of that has gone into is just microtransaction hell and loot box hell and i don't want any part of that i don't think anybody wants a part of that the people that play it they don't really want a part of it but they're stuck so they don't have a choice as much as they think they love buying those cards and spending their money they would much rather just have an updated roster every year that has all of the characters and they're all like at the same level and it's just a balanced game that you can play against your mates or whatever you know, like yeah. it's there's there's no reason to have all that BS in there other than to just rob you blind, honestly, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so, I mean, I am all about this being the worst. I don't know uh, why it's the worst, but good on them. Well, I mean, there's other three areas like, you know, apologies of 2021 and like their. You know, it's made three separate lists, so I would think that's an indication. Yeah. But our next article here was a new PS5 leak has nostalgic PS1 fans very excited. This is also, uh, well, this is Tyler Fisher comicbook.com. Um, so actually, I messed up on the other one. It was uh, Mike Fahey at Kotaku with the worst games of 2021 is what that one is. So uh, this one, I mean, it's really, really quick. We can go over this. There's a leak that basically says that the studio behind uh, Destruction All-Stars, that PS5 game that pretty much went from super hype to bargain bin within less than a year's time, is going to be behind, potentially, a new Twisted Metal game. I don't know how I feel about this, basically because of the, you know, the mild lack of success that this uh, studio has had. Uh, and I have been looking forward to a very good Twisted Metal game since Black, and I, I don't know if we'll get it. So that's my general thoughts on this, dude. Yeah. So I think that, um, I mean, there's the reality of it. And then there's what I would like to happen. I think what they need to do is I really liked, I think it was twisted metal three and you had like, you could customize and make your own car and like your own attachments and stuff. I think that they need to kind of bring back some of uh, that type of approach to Twisted Metal, like give you some uh, control and some creativity and stuff, but then take all of the old classic uh, characters and, and, you know, iconic vehicles and just modernize them enough. Uh, find a way to cut a new angle in there. Like you got to add something new. You can't just make it exactly the way it was. But I also don't want them to like throw everything out the window and go crazy. Like I think a good modernization. Um, I, I can't think of like what an extra mechanic they could add. Like I, I'm not saying to like put like some crazy super in there, but also like, I don't think that, you know, I, I don't know. There's going to be a TV show. There's going to be a TV show. Ultimately, this is going to be a tie-in with the TV show, and it's going to be exactly whatever the TV show is going to be. Yeah, like, that's the reality of the situation. But like in my mind, like Lucid Games, they made that um, that other game and the PlayStation Destruction All Stars, Destruction All Stars, and it looked interesting. But I don't think in Twisted Metal, like, you don't need to, like, be able to get out of your car and, like, try to wrestle the other cars or, you know, kick people out of their cars and stuff. Like, no, 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 none of that. Just in cars, car battling the way it used to be. 
but you got to find something new. Like when Mario Kart eight added like, Oh, now you can like go upside down on the ceiling and stuff. That was like a new cool thing. Find something like that. I don't know if you can make cars wall run or something. That'd be sick. I guess. Yeah. Capture the flag modes, different things like that. Or there we fun. go. Yeah. Maybe just introducing new modes and new ways to like do stuff. Like when there was the last twisted metal, there was no rocket league. Let yeah. the influence of Rocket League and how car genres have evolved since then to influence mm-hmm. your creativity. Yeah, so if you're a fan of the Twisted Metal franchise, that's kind of what's out there right now is something on PS5. And I just don't want, like, the Walking Dead Twisted Metal. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's it's... what I imagine when, when I hear this TV yeah. show. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, Sweet Tooth in his jail cell and breaking out. And look, it'll, who knows? We'll, we'll see what happens with that. Um, so cool. next thing here, as far as potentially disappointing news with Twisted Metal, uh, we have disappointing news. So Super Smash Bros. Ultimate Director confirms disappointing Dude, news. this is great news, I think. Uh, yeah, I would agree, actually. This is Tyler Fisher, comicbook.com as well. Uh, so basically, uh, he was asked you know, what's next for Super Smash Bros. And he's pretty much like, yeah. That's Monster Hero Sakurai, by the way. Yeah, well, I don't I don't remember names, dude. You know this. That's who's being asked. So he uh, he's pretty much saying, yeah, we don't have any plans for it. There's nothing in the works. Like, this could be a, you know, yeah, we don't have any plans for it so they can hype people up. Or it could just be a matter of Nintendo just saying, like, what the hell else can we do for this franchise that's going to make it unique? Because... You know, I think they kind of shot themselves in the foot this go around with the sheer amount of characters they threw in there through DLC. That was a lot, man. Like, yeah. how do you how do you move on with that? Well, see, this is the thing. I think that what he's saying in this article, like, is what we should go back to and what we should expect. Like, don't always expect there to be a sequel. I mean, between Smash Ultimate and uh, Melee. There's something for everyone and everyone should be satisfied. Like Sakurai is a great, awesome, super creative dude. Let him do that and make something else new. Like the thing that made Smash Bros. so good was that it was so different and awesome. And then he iterated on it and he did it again and again. But like, let the man have that ability to create something brand new and super awesome again. Like I would love to see the world go back to a way more where like you can have a couple installments in a game, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to have every game be final fantasy 23. You know, we don't always need another one. Yeah. You could just, everything is still playable. It's like, uh, people talk about this with like tabletop, uh, you can still go back and play D&D 3.5. Just because there's a 5E doesn't mean you need to play it. Just because they're making a 6E doesn't mean you have to bail on 5E. Yeah. Like, all those books are still good. Yeah, and I, and I think that's kind of a key thing to point out, too, is, like, people still have melee tournaments and still play that game today. Uh, you know, I, I can probably go to a, a friend's house, you know, where I used to live, uh, during my college days and we could boot up a GameCube and play melee for hours. And I mean, be happy with it. If anything, wouldn't, wouldn't the smash community be more interested in not a new smash, but maybe like an HD online enabled native switch version of melee. Like, yeah. and that would be way less resource intensive. Like the amount of time and energy that goes into making a whole smash game versus just revitalizing and giving, you know, online ability yeah, and a way to play it on modern hardware. Like people would be way more stoked with that. And Nintendo would probably make just as much money. Yeah. Because they probably still sell it for $60. (laughs) <laughs> they totally would. Or it'll just like re-release like this current Smash with all of the characters already downloaded and then put it into like the next gen switch and just keep it going. Oh my like, god, dude. A Smash Ultimate D-Make where it lo- ev- it looks like Melee and it plays like Melee, but it has the whole Ultimate roster. Oh my god. Melee remastered. Actually, that'd be an interesting... Actually, ultimate you know Melee. 
that's the if next they, game. If they did like Melee Remastered, I would just be done with Nintendo at that point. Mm. You know, like we're just going to take the same game and re-release it like we do with everything else and just give it a nice little flashy upgrade and you're going to buy it anyways for $60. Right. So, all right. Uh, jumping into our inflation deflation this week. So uh, Dude, Ryan and different. I, a little bit different because I think we did um, one of the other magic sets a while back. Uh, so we both opened different booster boxes or set booster boxes of magic. So I opened up Strixhaven, which is pretty much like Harry Potter meets magic, the gathering, which is kind of, odd when you think about it that it's you know it flows so well already right uh and then you opened up uh Innistrad Crimson Vow and uh we're gonna talk about kind of if those signatures were worth it I also did a bundle too oh okay cool because I All like right. the the boxes yeah um so I'll start it off uh these are developed by Wizards of the Coast which we love talking about Wizards products Strixhaven came out in April of 2021. Crimson Vow came out in November of 2021. So when I say I bought it a few months ago, I actually bought it back in April. Now I think about it. Uh, it is a collectible card game, of course. And the reception on these is always positive. Uh, you know, there's never really any negatives to it uh, when it comes to I magic. Mean, people always complain about magic, but people always buy it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like it's we'll say mixed reception. Uh, so a Strixhaven booster box uh, around its peak was about 105 and a set booster uh, sealed today is about 98 and it is trending up. It was at about $87 before. But uh, when I opened mine up, dude, the one thing I noticed was the artwork in Strixhaven is amazing. I, I love the art style. I love the the use of magic uh, within this. It's unlike a, a lot of what I'd seen in the past uh, with magic cards as far as like the new stuff is concerned because there was a point where they were going through like, um, uh, what is it like, back the Ravnica in the past and they had uh, some of the more like Greek mythology style through like Theros. And I say Greek mythology with like quotation air quotes. Um, but you had like Theros and other things like that. And it kind of brought out the different like gods and creatures. And, and this was more so back to basics for me in a sense with the different warlocks and, and uh, you know, different characters that are, are more human esque. Well, and uh, it has that like school aesthetic angle yeah. to it too. Right. Which I think is really fun. in like the few cards I have seen, cause I really don't have many or, or mm -hmm. haven't really looked at many, but like they're uh, it, it's fun. Like school of magic is a fun concept and I mm -hmm. think it ties in super well with magic. And uh, I mean, I just hadn't jumped back on the magic wagon uh, in April because I didn't get started until the D&D &D set is what really launched me back into magic. Yeah, well, you have I the booster um or not booster but i think i bought you a commander deck that was actually from this set yeah yeah, yeah. i got i got that one commander deck so i do have some exposure to some of the cards and some yeah. that i've seen online yeah and i think it's great i, I love the, uh, the art style here as far as my pulls were concerned uh what was really cool is with the set boosters and i don't think it's with the the draft boosters but the set boosters have like the list which can be cards from different sets that you can pull that are on this list and uh, I ended up pulling out a Kozilek Butcher of Truth, which is uh, as a non-foil is about 60 bucks on TCG for the low. And uh, I also pulled a Time Warp with a nice art style that came from this specifically from this set. Uh, and then I also pulled uh, some sort of dragon card. I don't remember the name of the dragon, but it's from uh, Conspiracy. Uh, so those were my my extra cards, in a sense, uh, that were worth some value. And they happen to be the most valuable cards out of everything. So those cards alone came out to around roughly $85 in value uh, with those three cards. Uh, the rest of the set itself was probably about $90 in like rares and good uncommons. And the one hangup I had, dude, was, you know, yes, I got like nine mythics and I got like 30 something rares. But really had me hung up is there's a lot of great commons and uncommons in this set that are actively being used in standard right now. And many of them I either did not get even one or I only got one of that particular card. And that was frustrating. Uh, I think with the draft boosters, yes, you get fewer rares, but you have more opportunity to get some of those commons and uncommons. And if you look at the price point for this particular set, 
the draft booster set is actually a little more expensive. I mean, you get more cards in general, uh, but it is more expensive than set booster. You know, you get, you get a few more packs. I think it's like 32 packs in a set booster. So it's like 36 in the draft booster, if I'm correct. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's, it's a few less packs, but the idea is that you're going to get more rares and more foils out of the set boosters. And it's yeah. more of a complete set uh, in that regard. Well, And it comes nice. with those. I mean, I'm a sucker for uh, those art cards. I, I dig those. Yeah, those are pretty cool. I don't so know if like, those are in the draft boosters. No, they're not. Because when I got... Um, when I got Forgotten Realms, I wound up getting a draft set mm-hmm. or a draft box and a set box at different yeah. times. And I didn't mm-hmm. realize there was a difference at the time because it was like, I think it was the first one that I bought was a yeah. set. And then the second one I bought was a draft because I was like, there's none of those art cards in these ones. Yeah, I think I'm going to buy the next box I buy. will be a draft box. I've dabbled in looking into the... I like the collector's packs. Mm-hmm. I think those are cool, but those collector sets are, or the collector's boxes are very expensive and yeah. you don't get nearly like as much volume, but you, what you get in lack of volume, you make up in like the chance for extra pulls and like a ton of foils. Yeah. Um, I did watch a video on YouTube can't remember who it was but they basically kind of talked about like the types of pull slots that are in the various packs and what is available and i think you can find charts and stuff for it online um but ultimately they were saying for them it basically comes down to what's in the land slot because that's like a whole slot that you can pull from in that set and if there's nothing worth it in that spot yeah then it kind of is a wasted spot and it kind of devalues it to the point because I mean, it's not just like, I think draft draft packs are like four bucks and set packs are like five bucks or something. Is that true? Something like that. I don't remember, but like a collector's pack is like 25 bucks. Yeah. The collector's packs are just, so it's like, it's an absurd amount more money. Yeah. So like a collector's box of this, you get less packs. I think you get more cards within each pack and everything is like, foil or you know like special art uh but those are like 200 bucks for this one yeah i think my favorite product is probably the um collector's bundle because it's basically like the regular bundle but it comes with like a little bit different um like art on it Mm -hmm. and then it also comes with one pack yeah so yeah or or it comes with one of the collector's packs so it's like instead of like 38.99 it's like it's like 10 bucks more but you get like i feel like a bit more value and it's fun to get one of those awesome packs that you don't really want to go out and spend 25 bucks on yeah that's a cool perspective on i never really thought about it in that regard so i did that for the um uh Crimson Vale. The D&D set. Yeah. Oh, and that Because they didn't yeah. have one for the Midnight Hunt set. Gotcha. They have one for the Crimson Vow, but after what I pulled and, and going through this list today, I don't think it's worth me investing more money into Crimson Vow. Yeah. So Crimson Vow, the set booster is around $103 and a bundle is $38.99. Peak is going to be about the same, you know, in that 105 range, 110, depending on where you go. And uh, I think that one right now is kind of trending down, of course, because it just came out. Yeah, um, it's it's brand new. So it you're really there's not a secondary market worth talking about. Yeah. What about your rares? What did you pull? Uh, So like I got... I got most of the title stuff. Um, I got uh, Olivia, the Crimson Bride. I got two, uh, Edgar, the Charmed Groom. Um, I got the Castle Dracula, which is cool looking. Um, I got a couple um, Angie, Maid of Dishonors. What did you value at overall? So... I added up most of the stuff. I kind of I kind of got stuck in this loophole where I couldn't decide what the value that I wanted to use. I'm still newish to magic again. 
So I don't know exactly what to price everything out at. Um, so eventually we decided to just go through TCG player and do the lowest one uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the lowest price available. So once I got everything totaled, like probably somewhere between 90 and a hundred dollars. Uh, the most valuable thing I got was that foil Olivia Crimson Bride in the, the, I think there's three different art styles. This isn't like the really crazy one. Uh, but this is just like the, the alternate border one. Uh, and that's saying that it's like 44. Gotcha. I got eight mythics overall. Uh, but I mean, compared to what you got, uh, and I spent an extra 40 bucks and got an extra like six packs. I mean, the difference is in, it's huge, you know, and that's what goes to show you. It's all about, you know, what you pull and luck. But I mean, I pulled most of like the head stuff from this one and the value just isn't there. I mean, when I did the D and D, I mean, I way overbought on the, or I mean the, the min the Innistrad uh midnight hunt like i bought the same thing one set and one bundle but i mean i got two meat hooks out of that Mm -hmm. so i mean i made back a lot of value in just those two cards whereas for me as strixhaven um the most expensive card out of it is an expressive foil iteration or expressive iteration foil at 22 dollars. that's a promo otherwise you're looking at like a 22 dollar foil of belladross wither bloom so when I look at my pack, other than those three cards I pulled out of the set boosters, I only had like, what, $90 in total rare value. And that's me like being a little more um, liberal on what I'm getting. It probably was a little bit less. So when I look at like inflated or deflated for this specifically, I would say Strixhaven is highly inflated at this point in time for a booster box. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot about buying Magic the Gathering cards <laughs> recently. And yeah. in the future, I'm definitely going to try to be more picky. But my God, the Kamigawa stuff looks so good. Yeah, and I know. every set pack is going to come with one of those dope lands. I so know. buying a set booster is like, you're going to get a bunch of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm thinking of, too. Well, what is your overall, like, when it comes down to Inflate or Deflate it on Crimson Vow, what's your thought? Uh, Crimson Vow is definitely one to just pick up singles from. Uh, I mean, between... Unless you want to go into the Soren Mirthless Foil Showcase sweepstakes. Yeah, so the Soren Mirthless Foil Showcase is like 150 bucks plus. Uh, so, I mean, if you pull one, if I pulled one of those, it would have made up for everything that yeah. I bought. But, I mean, that's just... Not everybody does that. No, not at all. So, okay, cool. So as of right now, I think we're both on the inflated scale as far as as far as these booster boxes are concerned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, if you play Magic, let us know. Always uh, curious to hear perspectives from other Magic players and their thoughts. We kind of have gotten back into it recently, so it's kind of nice to, you know, hear what other players have to say about it. Um. All right. Well, so dude, next week we'll be talking about our, you know, top five, bottom five for inflation, deflation. Um, so that should be pretty fun. So all of you go ahead and catch that episode next week and, um, we'll see you then. So this has been episode 162 of the Inflators podcast. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.